everyone. Before I dive into this episode, I'm recording this after I've actually recorded the full episode. Uh, I do want to give a short disclaimer, and that's this. The place that I'm speaking from today is a place of uh, passion, a little bit of fear and pain and anger. So I hope that you will keep that in mind as you listen and be a little bit patient with me as I kind of bear my heart here on this topic, as it is something that deeply, deeply affects me and the people close to me. So thank you guys for listening. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Absurdity, where we discuss all things absurd in religion, culture, and society. And today is a throwback episode. At the very beginning of this show, it used to just be me. And uh, episodes would just be a completely solo talk by myself, which meant that I sat alone in a room with nobody else there talking at my computer screen. Today is very similar, except I have a dog and a friend in the room with me, so I'm not just alone. Now I just look like the crazy person not talking to the other people in the room. But the reason we're alone, I do have an announcement for you, is that Tony is taking a sabbatical. So he will be back sometime probably May, uh, potentially June, depending on uh, schedules. Basically, he's in the middle of trying to finish up seminary. Coronavirus stuff has affected his university, as it has mine Um, with schools canceling and doing online classes. He's got some life transition stuff that he's working through. So basically, I wanted to give him some space, and he decided that it was best for him as well in order for him to kind of focus on real life for a bit. So this will be one less thing on his plate every week. And there will be a temporary co-host in the meantime. So hopefully, assuming everything goes according to plan, you'll find who, out who that is next week. So I will have that lined up. So it's not just me for an hour straight talking to you every week. I'm pretty sure you would get bored of my own voice all the time. But um, I do hope that you will enjoy this episode and uh, kind of enjoy what what we are still producing, even with one half of the show on sabbatical. And yeah, go ahead pray for him. There's nothing like super serious, like he's not dying or anything. Don't worry. And he and I are fine. There's no big fight between us. I promise. It's just a sabbatical so he can can take care of things that he needs to take care of. Um, But speaking of coronavirus stuff, so this entire thing is, this entire coronavirus narrative has been wild. Uh, On Thursday, just last week, my university joined several others in closing campus for Uh, the remainder of the semester where employees will likely still be on campus, but all of the classes will switch to online classes. And most universities basically had about a day or two to actually make this announcement because in order to make that transition smooth, as well as give students plenty of time to move out, they needed to make it before spring break. In fact, my university made it, made that announcement that the morning of spring break starting In other words, like the last day of classes as students were packing up, some students had probably already left. We got the text message, the phone call, everything basically saying that that students needed to be out by March 20th. Now, all the universities that I'm aware of that are doing this are also making contingency plans and and, um, kind of exceptions for international students, those who have a hard time going home, or those for whom going home would mean going to a place of higher risk. Uh, So universities usually are working on that and are working with those situations and and trying to make sure that that everyone is taken care of within reason. But 
uh, all of that, when it happened, for me, I work in admissions and all of this coronavirus stuff had been, um, I don't know, it had always been, it just been a headline. It had been articles and things that I had been reading, but, and, and, and it had started coming closer to home as, as things started, um, as cases started being found in Georgia and Atlanta, even as close as an hour south of where I live, but it still hadn't hit home yet. So when this text message went out, when the phone calls went out, I was literally in a meeting talking about whether or not Southern should close campus. Like I was just talking with a few coworkers as an aside. And then we got the call and the text that, that campus had been closed. And I remember feeling this huge sense of dread wash over me. And that's for two reasons. Uh, number one, it does, like, campus is lonely. Campus is kind of, uh, it's kind of a sad place when students aren't there. So to know that students were leaving really early uh, meant that um, it was going to be a quiet campus. And two, and, and there's a lot of students that I care about, that I like, that I like spending time with, and all of them are going to be leaving early. I felt terrible for the seniors who were looking forward to graduation. I know of one student who had it marked on her calendar for over two years, just waiting for the day. And now that has been taken from her because of this. And there's anger, there's hurt, there's frustration, there's pain. I'm really glad that none of it is really being aimed at the universities because they're making responsible choices for their students, for their faculty and their community. But I can understand why anyone would feel just plain angry at the rest of their year kind of stolen from them. The So yeah, I remember feeling kind of sad and, and that feeling of dread wash over me. But the other reason I felt uh, dread was because this is when it became real as something that that is affecting my life in a very concrete way, let, al let alone I tried to go shopping the other day because I ran out of toilet paper and just needed a regular amount and Walmart was all completely out. So thank you, small corner stores for still having toilet paper. But the, the reality was that as this came closer to me, I remembered one very, very important fact, which is that I have asthma. And if you don't, if you know anything about the coronavirus, you know that it, it, that it mainly is a threat to those with um, compromised immune systems. So people going through chemo and radiation, for example, with, with cancer, um, those with HIV, any, any kind of in, the, in those camps, anyone with a, with a compromised immune system. It also uh, disproportionately affects the elderly, uh, those above the age of, I believe, 60. Most young people don't have an issue with this. And... Lastly, it also affects those who have uh, pre-existing conditions and especially pre-existing respiratory conditions. Guess what asthma falls into the pre-existing respiratory conditions? In fact, I remember growing up, I would get a cold or I would get like an, uh, just any sort of upper respiratory infection. It would turn into this severe case of bronchitis where none of my asthma medication would work. And I would literally just have to go straight to the ER every time, almost every night of a, me being sick. Uh, to get a basically just pure oxygen flowing through on, and an increased dose of steroids, the hospital dosage of of the steroids that, that they use to open up the pathways to your lungs because I literally couldn't breathe. And when people ask like, would you ever time travel? Where would you go? And I'd be like, nowhere, uh, nowhere before there were inhalers in modern pharmacies. So I don't know, yesterday is where I would time travel to. Like I'm not... I have no interest in time travel ever because I'm pretty sure I would just die on the spot from not having any of my medication and inhalers on handy. So, or at least I would die as soon as I ran out. But 
It has, the last I checked, coronavirus has an 86% infection rate. So for someone like me, um, that, that high of an infection rate, regardless if it's 86, is, I'm pretty sure it's over 50. What, basically what the infection rate means is when someone comes into contact with, you know, when you come into contact with someone who is carrying the virus, there is a high percentage chance that you will get it. So in this case, the last number I remember reading is 86. It could be slightly off. Um, that means there's an 86% chance that you are going to have it passed on to you. And the reason it's become so outspread is governments have very much been downplaying the severity. Uh, Trump himself went from democratic hoax to national emergency in basically a week's time. And now a lot of the shift has gone from actually addressing issues with the virus and getting testing out and for and affording all of that to, um, to a lot of racist remarks towards the Chinese and um, referring to this virus as um, it basically in a conspiracy theory kind of way, which I think is incredibly dangerous for a number of reasons. And many of you may have seen, as I referenced earlier, toilet paper being run out. Um, and you may be wondering why in the world is everyone buying so much toilet paper? And the reason being a lot of those people are just reselling them. Uh, they're going on Amazon and eBay and they're reselling um, they're reselling toilet paper at an increased price. And this was the same with hand sanitizer. The problem with this is that price gouging is illegal in several states. And so there's a lot of these people that I know that there was one guy that made over $100,000 in a week doing this. Um, but pretty much everyone else is now getting caught doing it. And they're li Amazon, eBay, other, other places, Facebook Marketplace, all of them are starting to take down those listings, especially if they're in a state where it's illegal. But that is what's happening. And I think that displays one of the more sickening thing that, you know, there's a time and a place for entrepreneurship and for, um, for investing. And during the pandemic, like that's not it. Um, and it is sad to kind of see that happen. So I want to talk about a few misconceptions that people have with the coronavirus or COVID-19. Basically, these are things that uh, these are myths or things that people believe without actually um, really knowing what the truth is. And so I'm going to be citing an article from Vox. And the reason I'm citing an article from Vox, regardless of what you think of their um, of their art, you know, their their trustworthiness or veracity or credibility as a as a news source, I'm actually referencing specifically graphs and things that they've pasted in or referenced. I'm not actually referencing the article itself very much. And one of the first misconceptions that a lot of people have is, and, and they've been trying to get people to calm down is they say, well, more people die from the flu. So, and we don't panic about the flu. More people die from the cold. We don't, we don't panic about the cold. Yeah. Because the flu has a much lower infection rate and mortality rate as a result. By definition, if less people are getting infected, then less people are dying as long as the thing is, you know, if as long as it's not such a high mortality rate. The coronavirus threat isn't about how many have already died. It's actually about how many could die. It, it is estimated that this is about two times more contagious than the actual um, than than seasonal flu. And even the president, even President Trump has has said uh, there's a tweet from March 9. So last year, 37,000 Americans died from the common flu. It averages between 27,000 and 70,000 per year. Nothing is shut down. Life and the economy go on. 
At this moment, there are 546 cases of coronavirus with 22 deaths. Think about that. So let's go ahead and think about that, shall we? Let's say that there was 1 million people. Let's say you just had a population of 1 million people. Let's assume, just for fun, let's assume that 25% of those 1 million people get the seasonal flu because of the infection rate of seasonal flu. Let's just assume 25%, so 250,000 people have the flu or will get the flu. The mortality rate of seasonal flu is 0.1%, which means that of those 250,000 people, 0.1% of them will actually die from this, and that it, that is around 1,000 people. Now, I'm not going to say that those 1,000 lives don't matter. These are real people we're talking about, but I want, I want people to understand the, the scale of this. Right now, estimates from the CDC and from several other organizations are saying that around 40 to 70% of the total population will likely get infected with COVID-19 or coronavirus at some point. So if 70% of that same 1 million group of people um, you know, get this, in a worst case scenario, 70%, and it has a, it, it has, it's about two times more contagious, and in fact, even more so, Estimates have said that it's about 1.4, anywhere from 1.4 to 2.4 or 2.6 times more uh, more likely to get it. You are more likely to get it than, than the seasonal flu. So let's assume that 70% get this. So that's 700,000 people. Now let's say 2%, let's meet in the middle. 2% of that 700,000 people are uh, will die from COVID-19. That is around 14,000 people. 13,000 more than the seasonal flu. The reason this is so significant is because the potential for death here is much higher. We are less prepared to deal with this than we are the seasonal flu. We pretty much can predict and know and how to manage the seasonal flu. But with this, there's not a whole lot of information about it that have, or a lot of tools to fight it really. And so if you scale that up to the entire population, billions of people then we are talking about the deaths of millions of people. Millions of people. So it's not that already so many people have died from the seasonal flu and, and so it's more significant. The fact of the matter is this has the potential to do so much more damage, so much more damage than anything else that we've seen. So yeah, you can say that we haven't panicked about the flu because we don't have a reason to panic about the flu. And in fact, the only people that really need to panic about the flu are the same people um, that really are panicking about coronavirus. So immunocompromised, um, respiratory infections or, or respiratory illnesses, pre-existing conditions, and the elderly and those who, those who are already sick with something like pneumonia, right? This is, um, those are the people that are normally should be worried or concerned about the flu. The problem is because its infection rate is so low, it's never been something that a lot of people worry about unless they're really in a risky position. In fact, even for me, even though I have asthma, the risk I would say is probably lower than others in, in my group because asthma is all I have. And as, chances are, if you are young, if you're below the age of 60, it's likely that you're going to get this, you're going to get knocked down for a few days, and then you'll bounce right back. And here's where privilege comes in. In fact, I think... Uh, one of the good things that can come from this, and I'm not saying this happened for this reason, I'm not saying it happens for any reason other than the world is a broken place, 
Uh, but I do think one of the things that we can learn from this, one of the things that we can look into this and, and grasp some good out of it, is this has become the world's greatest object lesson to understand privilege and social responsibility. Because the vast majority of people who will get COVID-19 will get sick, they'll be knocked down, but then they'll bounce right back. A lot of those individuals really don't care um, about what happens because they're like, yeah, I'll be fine. It's just like getting a cold, you know, a really bad cold for a few days, but I'll be back on my feet. But because those individuals can be contagious up to two weeks before they ever have symptoms, they will likely pass it on to countless people prior to them even feeling sick. In other words, by the time you feel sick, you've likely already passed it on to someone else, but you'll be back on your feet. So it doesn't matter to you, except it does. Like I said, I have asthma. I have friends, dear friends. In fact, a friend of a podcast, a good friend of our podcast is going through cancer treatments right now. My mom has battled cancer three times. I'm well, well familiar or very, very familiar with, with that kind of that stage of life, that phase of life and, and, and uh, that issue. And there are others who are fully immunocompromised or have respiratory issues like me. If any of those population populations get it, their chance of bouncing back are much lower than others. It's not just about you getting sick. It's about protecting people like me who are at a much greater risk of death than others. See, the reason that dread filled me so much when school was closed was because that was the first time that it really, really sunk in that I could actually die from this and the chances actually decently high. Yes, I could die from a car accident. Yes, I could die in some random catastrophe or natural disaster. I survived hurricanes in Florida. Look, I, I, I get that. Um, whataboutism is not the place. This isn't the place for whataboutism. The reality is right now, because of the careless attitudes of several people on this planet, there is a high chance that I get this and people I care about get this because someone else just said, meh, I'll, I'll be fine. So it doesn't matter. When that's set in, because there are so many people saying, well, I'll be fine. I don't care. That's what made me angry and that's what made me sad. And if that's you, if you are the one who's saying, well, I'll be fine, I don't really care, then guess what? The fact that you can say that is privilege because there are several who can't. So if you've ever thought like white privilege is a myth, if you've ever thought anything like that is a myth, this is one more example of what privilege is. Privilege, it's not a bad thing that you will be fine. In fact, I'm really glad that if you get this, likely you'll be fine. The point of privilege is not that only one group gets it. The point of privilege and why we talk about privilege the way that we do in issues of race, social equality, gender, you name it, is because privilege should be privilege for everyone, not just one group. We should be working so that everyone can ultimately say, I'll be fine, it doesn't matter. But unfortunately, right now, we're not. We're in a position where several people are saying, I'll be fine. It doesn't matter. And there are other people being put at risk as a result. So if that's you, and if you're in this group, then let me say it this way. You are directly putting people in danger. Not even indirectly. You are directly putting people in danger. Because if you are contagious, you don't even know you have it. 
So you aren't even taking the necessary precautions to protect others and protect yourself. This is why social distancing is such an issue or why it's so important is because if we continue to gather the way that we do, if we continue to, to get together the way that we do, um, then it will increase the chance of you directly hurting someone else. This is why I actually love what Italy is doing, not necessarily the quarantine itself, but there's something that has started to happen that I think really accurately communicates the danger that this actually poses to people. Basically, because the entire country is under quarantine, if you are out and about, police will stop you and they will ask you why you're out. They will ask you to show your ID and they will, and and they'll investigate. Basically you will get stopped if you're outside for any reason, even if that reason is justified, you'll get stopped, asked, and then likely sent on your way. However, if that reason is not a, you know, a, a legitimate reason, if you're just out because you want to be versus an actual purpose, then they are arresting and charging people with, with manslaughter. Because that's what this is. If you are someone who is saying, I'll be fine, I don't care, not my problem, then you are directly putting people in danger. In fact, you are the most dangerous person that is involved in this situation. The only people that are more dangerous are politicians that have been, that have been hiding this, people who've been dragging their feet and taking action, right? Those people are also uh, the most dangerous. But I would say to those around you, to your immediate people that you love and care about, you are the biggest danger to them. And yes, this absolutely makes me angry because people I know and people I love are being put at risk because simply there's people that just don't think it's a big deal. And then there are people I know and love that are putting others at risk because of their own carelessness. See, to be honest with you, I'm really glad that churches have been canceling services because I was already planning to stay away from church given the number of people present at my own. Just uh, about a month ago, we we had over 500 people. We've been averaging between 450 and and 500 people basically per week at, uh, at the church that I'm at. Of course, I'm not going to put myself in those places and increase my own risk. But see, I'm glad that churches were already canceling because now I don't have people questioning that decision to stay home and shaming me for protecting myself from their own ignorance and now very real threat to my life. And that's what's sad to me is that I would have to justify taking care of myself because there are people out there who legitimately think that, nah, no big deal. And yes, that makes me incredibly angry. That last point about church leads me into the final group that I really, really want to rant about. And that is the religious nuts. And yes, I know that if anyone is an atheist, they probably would classify me as a religious nut simply because I am religious in any way, shape or form. Don't really care what I'm talking about when I say religious nuts are um, the people who, you know, people who take this to a very, very far extreme and avoid taking personal responsibility or social responsibility for those around them because they would just rather say faith will take care of it. And yes, I don't even care if that offends someone, because if you fall into the group that I'm about to talk about, then welcome to the religious nuts. Please get out of that group as soon as possible. Those who would openly say, where is your faith to people like me who stay home or organizations which have made responsible decisions to protect their people 
are modeling an unrealistic and unbiblical kind of faith, period. If you want to judge people who are staying home or judge organizations for being overly reactive, for being too scared, for being too panicky, for not having enough faith, then here's what I have to say. First of all, the Bible never calls us to question or judge the quality of faith in someone else. Secondly, God never calls his people to reckless faith. He doesn't call us to drive without a seatbelt or put or not put your child in a car seat. He doesn't call us to ride a motorcycle without a helmet or jump in front of traffic or jump off a cliff or a building just because, I don't know, your faith in God will protect you. That is a ridiculous notion. And when there is a very real health threat to say your faith will protect you is downright dangerous. In fact, there was a church leader, the most prominent church leader in my own denomination that shared a video in which someone that led an independent ministry, don't get me wrong, I am an independent ministry, I get this, um, shared an interview that someone who leads an independent ministry did with a, uh, with a doctor. And that doctor said, of course, pray and eat healthy. But then he also said, and you should expose yourself to the virus so that you can build up your, so you can build an immunity to it. No, please don't do that. Because if it's going to take you two weeks and you don't even know if you will, if you have it during those two weeks, any, anywhere between three to 14 days on average, I believe it's 10 days that, that it takes to, to show symptoms. For that time, you're just a threat to others. You're a threat to the people you care about. You're a threat to the people that this disease is a very real threat to. And it's not okay. Like, and this is a prominent church leader sharing that kind of, not, it, it's not even misinformation. It's just outright dangerous information. It, and at the, the bottom line is, it is deadly information. And the last thing that I want to say there is that faith is not what protects you. Surely God can move and does move and he can work with varying amounts of faith. It is not your faith itself that heals you, that protects you, that prevents these things from happening. Faith is simply a tool that helps us get through things, that helps us navigate difficult situations, but faith is not the actual key itself. What are you going to have? Faith in faith? In fact, John chapter, I think it's five, it might be four, shows this when Jesus heals a man without one mention of faith. If, you, if you're wondering, if you look at the, the healing at the pool of Bethesda, that is where Jesus walks in with his disciples. He sees a man who's been there for 38 years, I believe. And all Jesus says is, do you want to be healed? The man says, yes. And so then he goes, all right, cool, stand up. And he does. And now, yes, you could argue that by him standing up, he's showing faith. However, this is not like the situations where, where Jesus literally says, hey, your faith has made you well. Your faith has healed you. That is not what he says. He simply asks the guy, do you want to be healed? Which is almost insulting to someone who's been wanting to be healed for 38 years and is in the place where he believes he is most likely to be healed. But nonetheless, all he does is ask, do you want to be healed? The guy goes, yes. And he says, sure. Okay, we're done. You're healed. Congratulations. Faith is not what protects you, period. And if you're in a position of reckless faith, it is likely that you're in more danger, not less. Fourth, we've talked about this before on this show. Tony and I have done uh, an episode completely dedicated to it, but we've talked about it in other respects as well. Regardless of what you feel called to do, you should not project your personal faith calling or conviction onto others. 
In fact, just because you feel led to do something does not mean it is a prescription from God for everyone. And that is one of the most dangerous things that I've seen in faith. And the one, well, not even dangerous. I would just say just pure harmful. It causes a lot of traumatic situations and, and a lot of improper judgments of people and people's faiths. And it's simply when someone thinks that they are called to avoid something or they are called to walk away from something or they are called to do something. And then they assume that that calling automatically extends to everyone else. Because if God would ask me to do it, then it's clearly something that God wants everyone to do. And that just isn't true. So you can be called to gather and you can be called and you can feel compelled to stay home like me. Neither decision means you have any more or any less faith than someone who chooses the other. And we should stop acting as if it does. If everyone is doing the best they can with the faith and the knowledge that they have, then there's no reason to to completely shame them for it. Now, I'm speaking out of anger and hurt and fear because my own life is in jeopardy to people who are naive to the very real risk and danger of the coronavirus and viruses like it that may show up in the future. In fact, I'm more concerned about this thing becoming seasonal than I, than I almost more concerned about that than I am about my own life being threatened now. But we have to stop acting like what, is, what we are called to do is somehow what everyone is called to do and then shaming people if they don't do what we do. What I'm hoping that this episode serves as is more of a rebuke to those who are doing this, not necessarily shame. I don't want you to feel terrible or shameful about any of your actions if you've fallen into any of the categories that I've, that I've mentioned and you've listened this far. I don't want you to feel shame whatsoever. What I'm hoping this does is just open your eyes a little bit to the very real dangers of this. And if I'm a voice, you know, if my voice is, is one that you care about, that you enjoy listening to, if I'm someone, maybe you know me in real life and... Uh, I'm someone that you care about. Well, I'm asking you as someone who has some sort of some sort of role in your life, whether as a, if it's a voice through a speaker or a voice in real life or a voice over text message, I'm asking you and outright begging you to please take this seriously. I'm not saying we should panic. I'm not saying we should go buy out all these stores of everything. I'm not saying that that we should freak out and start flipping and flipping cars and looting and, and doing anything like that. I'm just saying that we should be wise and intentional in our response. We should be considerate of others. And if you are someone of faith like me, you have accepted a greater responsibility, not just for your own life, but for the lives of others. If you don't believe that, then you can look at Galatians chapter six. You can also look at Acts two, Acts four. There are several places in scripture where God calls people to live in community and do it well and care for those around them. In fact, we always talk about Acts 2 and 4 being the the most ideal phase in the early church or in the early church and the the most correct phase or the most ideal phase of all of church history is Acts 2 and Acts 4. And the reason we do is because of the way that the community took care of each other and lived out their faith. If you have accepted Jesus, if you have accepted any message of faith within the Christian realm, then you have de facto accepted a greater responsibility, not just for your own life, but for the lives of those around you. So I am asking each listener, regardless of where you are and what your context is, to take this seriously. Don't panic. 
But also don't ignore it or pretend like this will all just blow over. Every day you believe that. Any day that you believe that we're overreacting, any day that you believe that it's no big deal, is a day that you could be actively infecting others around you, harming someone around you, and potentially, as a result, killing someone around you. And do you know what's absurd? Caring so little about the lives around you that you would rather risk their lives than wash your hands a little bit longer. So anyway, there's my rant. If you're willing to listen to the whole thing, I hope that you understood the place that I am coming from as a personal place of very real real fear. But thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>